Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, where we drink beer and talk football. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Got a great show today. We've got more draft grades to get to, and today I grade the AFC East. And just like last week, I'll tell you guys each team's best pick and worst pick. I also have a great interview later with Tyler Walker, who's a scouting assistant for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, we've had some great analysts, but it was really cool to be able to talk to someone who actually scouts players for an NFL franchise. So be sure to stick around for that. But first, the AFC East guys had one team that had one of the best drafts in the NFL this year, but the rest of this division was downright ugly. So let's crack a cold one and kick this off. Let's start with the Miami Dolphins. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on the Dolphins here because they traded most of their draft capital to acquire Tyree Kill this offseason. It was a big move, big splashy move by the, by the Dolphins. And I have to factor that into my grade here. I've been doing that with all these draft grades. And so when I look at this trade, it's clear to me that the Chiefs won this trade. I really don't think it's even close. Now, Tyreek Hill is a star. Don't get me wrong. But he's 28 years old. I think you can make a case his best football is probably behind him. Wide receiver is a position where you really start to see guys decline around 30. But more than that, the Dolphins just gave up an absurd amount of draft capital. A first, second, two-fourths, and a six-round draft pick. And they're paying him $140 million for the next five years. You look at it from the Chiefs side of things. The Chiefs loaded up on draft picks by doing this trade. And they opened up a ton of cap space. To me, they're the clear winner here. Like I said, Tyreek Hill is a great player. He's an explosive player. He's the cheetah, right? He's the fastest guy in the NFL. He's a home run hitter. I get all that. He's an exciting player. He adds a dynamic to this Miami Dolphins team that they didn't have prior to him. I totally get all that. But you just can't overpay for a guy like that when you're an average football team. If a team like the Bills, for instance, let's say they would have made that move, I would have looked at it a little differently. Because you're looking at a team that is maybe one big-time playmaker away from being a Super Bowl contender. And a guy like Tyreek Hill, for instance, maybe he pushes them over the top. But when you're the Miami Dolphins and you have all kinds of holes on the roster and you have a lot of different positions that you need to address and you give up that much draft capital and then overpay for a guy, I didn't like that move at all. And it really did affect this draft grade for them. So they didn't even have a pick in this draft until the third round. They took Channing Tindall, the linebacker from Georgia. Now, this is a good value pick. I did like this pick 
he really flies around the field. You watch his game. He's a quick player. He's an instinctual linebacker. He's really going to be a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. I thought that was a nice pick by the Dolphins. In the fourth round, they took Eric Azukanama, the wide receiver out of Texas Tech. Look, this guy has some skills. He's 6'2". He's got good size. There's just one glaring hole in his game, and that's he can't catch. It's kind of a big deal when you're a wide receiver. The guy drops balls like crazy. So I don't understand this pick at all. You just went and got Tyree Kill, like we just talked about. There's, like I said, other holes on this roster, and you take a wide receiver, and then you take one that's probably a huge reach and a guy that, quite frankly, I just don't think is going to cut it in the NFL. You cannot drop balls consistently and be a high-level NFL wide receiver. It's just not going to happen. Not going to get into the last couple picks they made. Those are guys that probably won't even make the team, or they'll be special teams guys at best. Best pick for the Dolphins clearly was Channing Tindall. I actually thought that was a nice pick. I liked that pick. It made sense. Worst pick, obviously, Eric Azukanama. Just didn't understand it at all. Just a really bad draft for the Miami Dolphins when you look at it. And just really, more than more than the draft, just a really bad offseason for the Dolphins. You can't give up five draft picks and overpay for a deep ball threat when your quarterback has a weak arm. I know everyone listening had to have seen the video that went viral a couple weeks ago of Tyreek Hill at practice running a deep ball route and Tua can't get it to him. And Tyreek Hill has to slow way down and wait for the ball. I don't really understand why the Dolphins would even post something like that. It just makes your quarterback look terrible. It makes the acquisition look terrible. I don't know why you can't find a better highlight to post on your social media. But it really illustrates the point that I'm making here that Tua is not a deep ball thrower. And Tyreek Hill is at his best when he's burning the defense deep. So... I just, I don't understand it at all. They're acting like a team that's a contender, and I don't think they're a contender at all. I think at best they're fighting for a playoff shot, but they really mortgaged their future with this trade. I, I just didn't like it at all. I'm giving the Dolphins a D minus. The only thing that saves it from an F is that Tyreek Hill is a one of a kind talent. I'll give him that. And I did like their third round pick. But other than that, it's been a bad offseason for the Dolphins. All right, let's shift gears to the Buffalo Bills. This is a team that really needed help at cornerback and running back. Those were two key positions that they needed to go after, and they addressed both positions with their first two picks. So I really like that about this draft for the Bills. Now, first, they traded up to take Gators cornerback, Kair Elam. This is a really good pick. This is a guy we did not get a chance to talk about much on this podcast, but he's got great cover skills. Six foot two, he's long, athletic, talented player. I mean, he's got everything you're looking for in a top end cornerback, a guy that really kind of flew under the radar, but just an awesome work ethic. This guy has a professional mentality, coaches, scouts, everybody loves this guy. He was a guy that was really rising up draft boards. Late in the process, didn't surprise me that they went after him. I think it's a great pick. He's a fiery guy. I I really love this pick. I think it's a good fit. And like I said, they needed help at corner. Made total sense. Now, I also like that they addressed running back. Like I said, that was a position they had to do something about. They went after a guy in the second round. They took James Cook from Georgia. Now, here's what I don't like. I like the, the positional pick. But Cook is really more of a rotational back. This is a guy that's not a between-the-tackles kind of runner. 
I think they needed a bigger physical type of running back, and Cook just isn't that guy. He's best as a third down back because he's really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. He's got big playability, but when you look at his skill set, he's really a lot like Devin Singletary, a running back that the Bills already have on their roster. So as far as that goes, I just didn't really like this pick. I didn't think it made a ton of sense to take a guy that is essentially very similar to a player you already have on your roster when you needed a different type of running back. For me, I would have drafted Arizona State running back Rashad White. We've talked about him. He went in the third round, so he was still on the board there in the second. I think it would have been a way better pick, a physical running back, a guy that, like I said, can get between the tackles and get downhill. I think that kind of player would have really helped this offense a lot more than a pass-catching third-down type of back. So didn't love that. Also was not a big fan of their third-round pick, Terrell Bernard, linebacker from Baylor. This is a guy that I think was a pretty big reach where they took him. Now, I get that they needed help at linebacker, but I didn't see anyone who covers the draft closely that had a third-round grade on this guy. I think most people thought he was more of a fourth or even fifth-round type of player, I think in the third, it was a bit of a reach because they needed linebacker help. I think they got a little desperate here, so I wasn't a huge fan of that. Now, in the fifth round, I thought they got great, great value when they took Khalil Shakur, the wide receiver from Boise State. This was, like I said, just great value because I think he's going to be a difference maker, slot wide receiver. He's got a big-time skill set and a guy that I think will make an impact early for the Buffalo Bills offense. Best pick for the Bills, Keir Elam, not even close. I just thought this was a home run. Totally fits what they want to do. I think he's going to be a really good player. Worst pick, Terrell Bernard, the linebacker. Like I said, not that he's a bad player. I just think it was a big reach. I think there was much better value available in the third round that they could have gone after. There was a lot of good players still on the board, so didn't like that pick too much. But I really liked the first and fifth round picks that they had. I thought those were great picks. I think, like I said, they might have reached and maybe even whiffed on their second and third round picks. So all in all, it's kind of a little bit of an underwhelming draft here. Not terrible, but nothing to really get too excited about. I'm just going to give it a C. All right, let's keep it moving here, guys, to the New York Jets. You probably already know This is a team that people have really been raving about their draft class, and rightfully so, because quite frankly, they hit it out of the park. Now, they needed help at offensive line. They needed help at wide receiver and cornerback. Those are really some key positions that they had to attack, and they did a really nice job. Starting with the fourth overall pick, they get my second-ranked cornerback and Sauce Gardner. Now, a lot of people had him as the first-ranked cornerback in this class, I can totally see why I thought Derek Stingley was a better player, but he was off the board. So getting Gardner at four, I think was awesome. Long, athletic. I mean, he was a shutdown corner in college. Granted, lesser competition, but really, really high level player. One of the highest graded corners probably in the past three or four years in the NFL draft. Now reports from Jets reporters have come out about OTAs and everyone's saying that he's looked really good in practice. So I know it's practice, it's not the real games, and I get that, but it looks like they may have found a really good one in Sauce Gardner. Now, at pick number 10, they took wide receiver Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. 
Now, I'm not as high on him as most. You guys who've been listening to this podcast probably already know that, but he is a high-level player, and he's a guy that I think is going to be a difference maker at a position that they really needed some help. They needed a playmaker at wide receiver to help out this offense, to help out the young quarterback, Zach Wilson. Now, for me, I would have taken Alabama wide receiver Jamison Williams, and I think in a couple years that could come back to bite him here because I think Williams is going to be a really, really good player, and I just think Garrett Wilson is more of a slot guy. I don't think he's ever going to be a dominant outside receiver, and I think that limits his value a little bit. We've talked about it on some earlier episodes. I think Jamison Williams is the real deal, so... I didn't love the pick. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I just didn't love it because, like I said, I think there was a better player available there. Now, at pick 26, they traded back into the first round and took Jermaine Johnson, the edge defender from Florida State. This is a guy who's long, athletic, quick. I mean, he's got really a quick first step. Explodes off the line of scrimmage. I have no idea. And everyone I've talked to, everything I've read online, I have no idea how this guy fell to 26. I mean, this is a guy who had top 10 to top 15 type of talent, a big time player that I think everyone pretty much thought going into the draft that he would be gone in the first 10 to 12 picks. For him to fall all the way to the back half of the first round was shocking. The Jets had a great opportunity to get a high-level player. I loved the aggressive nature of Joe Douglas, the GM for the Jets, to trade back in when they saw he was falling in the draft and go get him. Just great, great value. Quite frankly, one of the best value picks in the entire first round. Now, in the second round, they get arguably the best running back in this entire class with Brees Hall out of Iowa State. This is a guy who's got a nose for the end zone. He's also a good pass catcher, a very complete player. There's a lot to like about Brees Hall. I'm not going to dive into the later picks because quite quite frankly, they just absolutely crushed these first four picks. That's where I'm going to keep the focus here. Now, their best pick There's several guys you could go with here, but for me, it's Jermaine Johnson. Like I said, I think he was the best value of any pick they had. Really, really high-level player, and I think he's a guy that's going to be an impact rookie right away. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that look back at this draft and are going to be scratching their heads going, why in the world didn't we grab him when he's available? That one's going to haunt some teams because I think he's going to be a really good player. Now, their worst pick. I think it was Max Mitchell, the offensive tackle out of Louisiana. They probably waited around too late to get a tackle. That was one of the positions that I said in the beginning they really needed to address. Now, they hit on a lot of key positions that they needed to hit on. Tackle was one of them. Not that Max Mitchell's a bad player. I think he has some upside, and I think he's a guy that could develop into a good player and possibly even a starter down the road, but I think he's just more of a project guy. So, like I said, probably should have taken an offensive tackle maybe the round earlier than that, gotten a little more NFL-ready prospect but all in all guys there's no way around it when you land four guys who really quite frankly should start day one and be impact rookies three of those guys are top 10 to top 15 type of talents man you absolutely crushed the draft and that's what the jets did hit this one completely out of the park a plus grade quite frankly one of the best drafts in the entire nfl All right, and that leaves the New England Patriots. Where do I start with this one, guys? First round, pick 29, they take guard Cole Strange from Chattanooga. Now, 
if you guys happen to see the video, there was a press conference with the Rams head coach, Sean McVay. I believe he was sitting next to his GM, and they were laughing after the pick of Cole Strange, saying, quote, we wasted our time watching him, thinking he'd be at 104. That's pretty telling when you've got a head coach and a GM who are evaluating the guy, thinking he'd probably be available somewhere in the fourth round, possibly. Now, most had him as a second or third round grade, so maybe the Rams were a little lower on him than even most, but either way, I don't think anybody, and I mean anybody, had him in the first round. This was by far one of the most shocking picks. Now, he's a smart player. He's got some tools. But he's the guy who's undersized. He's not very strong for the position. And he's got some sloppy technique that he really needs to clean up. His hands and his feet are out of place way too often. I just didn't understand this pick. I think a lot of people were scratching their heads going, what is Bill Belichick doing? All right, in the second round, they took Tyquan Thornton, the wide receiver from Baylor, This was another really head-scratching pick. Mel Kuyper, NFL draft analyst from ESPN, didn't even have him ranked inside of his top 25 wide receivers. And I can't blame him because this is a guy who, yeah, he's a burner. He's got big-time speed, 4-2, 40-yard dash, but he's got a lot of holes in his game. I mean, this is a, a guy that's not a very polished wide receiver at all. And when you look at where he was selected, that's where the value really starts to come into play here because there were guys like George Pickens, Sky Moore, and Alec Pierce. They were all still on the board at wide receiver. This is a guy who was a third or fourth round graded type of player. I mean, once again, another guy that nobody thought would go in the second round. Another huge reach by the Patriots. Now, in the third round, they took Marcus Jones, the cornerback out of Houston. I think he's a nice player. Now, he could be a nickel corner day one and probably a day one starter because that's a position they needed to fill. I think he's going to be a good player, so I liked that pick. I really, really liked Pierre Strong Jr., running back from South Dakota State. This is a guy that I was really high on. I think he was absolutely a home run for them. He's an explosive running back. He's got 4.3, 40-yard dash speed, big-time player. Played at a small school, but, man, this guy measured at the combine and showed why he's every bit the elite running back talent of any of these other guys in the draft. I was way higher on him than a fourth-round grade. I think he's a guy that's going to be a steal in this draft. Now, I don't know why they took quarterback Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky later in the fourth round after they took Pierre Strong. I didn't get this pick at all. Now, when you have Mac Jones in year two, you're going to take a quarterback the following year? I didn't get that at all. Quite frankly, it just didn't make a lot of sense. In the fourth round, especially in this year's draft, there was a ton of really talented players still on the board. Now, when I look at best pick, worst pick, for me, Best pick, not even close, is Pierre Strong Jr. Like I said, this is one of my favorite players in this draft. One of the best mid-round picks in this draft. I think he's going to be a real, really good value pick. Worst pick, I considered going with Cole Strange, but he's a guy that some analysts did think would be a second or third round pick. So from that standpoint, he wasn't nearly as big of a reach as Tyquan Thornton. Look, I I love the speed. He's got elite speed. I mean, this guy can really fly, but he is a big-time project. And in the second round, you just can't afford to take a guy that just isn't ready to play at the NFL level. I, I just didn't understand that pick at all. And like I said, 
I think most people thought he'd go several rounds later. So that was just a massive reach by the Patriots. Now, when I look at this draft for the Patriots, this was ugly. Really, quite frankly, like a lot of these draft classes in this AFC East, I think the middle rounds just saved the Patriots from that F grade because I really consider the F, but like I said, they hit on a couple middle round guys that I think are going to be good players. So I'm going to go with a D, but man, it was not a good draft for Bill Belichick in the Patriots. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com. Excited to be joined by Tyler Walker, who's a scouting assistant for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tyler, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Brad. It's been a, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, I'm excited to get you on here finally. We've been trying to get this to happen here for a little bit, and it's a lot of fun, especially with the Jaguars having the first pick, having a really solid draft class that I want to jump into with you. But before we get to that, I want to kind of jump back to your past here because before you started working with the Jaguars, you were with the University of Oregon. Now, a lot of us have read stories about Oregon, the facilities and the program, but very few of us get to see what it's really like. Could you take us behind the curtain, if you would? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's some of the most unbelievable, probably the best in the country. You know, I know there's people compete every year for best facilities, but year in and year out, Oregon is right there. So, you know, inside you're, it's top notch from the nutrition to the food, the offices, to the weight room, to the locker room, just everything about it. Um, all the people in there, you know, whether you're in the athletic department or in the football building themselves, all just great people um, with, with a passion for Oregon football. Um, and a passion to win. And that's all you can ask for, you know? So I think, you know, the best thing about when I was there, you know, I'm speaking for, you know, the older staff was, it was a relentless effort to win and be the best and try to get better every day. I know it sounds like coach speak, but that was, that's just what it was. You know, Coach Cristobal really believed in working hard and he worked longer than everyone else in the building. He'd be there at five in the morning and he'd leave at 10 at night. And it wasn't, it wasn't just what he'd say, it's, it's what he would do. And I, I saw it firsthand every single day for about four years. I think that's why Oregon kind of took off to that next level, especially with recruiting. I, I think he's the best recruiting coach in the country, personally. He puts wakes him up and puts him to bed, as, as he says, you know, whether the kid's in Hawaii and, and going to bed at, he's going to bed at midnight or he's on the East Coast and the, the kid's on the East Coast and coach is waking up at 3 a.m. to text a kid. It, it just never ends with him. He'll, he'll do whatever he can to get a kid. And I think that's why you see, you know, the talent that's at Oregon, um, the talent we had and why we had success when I was there. Yeah, that is awesome. And you're right about the facilities and everything. They're always really high on the list. Whenever you see these websites and different places come out with top facilities, one of the best stadiums in the country, one of the best fan bases in the country, it's just really incredible. And it seems like they're always adding on. They're always putting some new bells and whistles up. It's really impressive. Now, you touched on Mario Cristobal, who you worked with at Oregon. You kind of talked about him here briefly, but maybe you could take it a step further. He had a lot of success at U of O and is now the head coach at Miami. Tell us about him as a coach. What type of coach, recruiter? I know you touched on he's one of the best recruiters out there, a relentless guy, it sounds like, in that regard. Just the overall guy. Who are the Miami Hurricanes getting with Mario Cristobal? Man, they're getting, they're getting a guy that loves the University of Miami to the core. You know, I know he loved Oregon. He really did. But when it, at the end of the day, I always knew that the Miami was open and the opportunity was right. You know, I, I thought he would potentially go back. And obviously this was the right time for him to go back. And 
No, they're getting a guy that that's going to come in, like I said, and he's going to work. He's going to give it all. He's going to recruit. I mean, shoot, we were pulling kids from Miami to Oregon that we had no business getting, you know. And, and now these kids are going to be able to stay home, close to home, and go play football for their hometown program. So I think he's going to have talent. You know, the, the guys are going to play for him. Um, that's one thing Coach was able to do. You know, you always saw in big games, whether, you know, I wasn't there for this year for the Ohio State game, but Ohio State, Pac-12 championship when I was there, both of those, so the Rose Bowl, the guys were always up to play in those games. He was, he's able to get guys motivated and he's able to get guys to stay focused on what the goal is. And that's always to win. You know, he, he obviously believes in having fun. And, you know, it's a team game and you, you play football that fun, but the fun comes from winning. And that's, that's something he really believes in. So uh, you see on the social media, you know, the Miami, the team's doing stuff, you know, barbecues or, you know, helping out the community. And, and that's coach building the team, bonding and all that stuff. So that's part of his plan is to get the team to play for each other, then play as brothers. And when, when, when the lights come on on Saturday, you know, they're going to play hard for him and for each other, and especially for that you. Um, so I, I think what he's going to do there is is going to be great. Um, I'm excited to watch him. I'm hoping to get down there, you know, scout a practice or two and, and maybe go to a game, see him and the rest of the staff from Oregon um, that came down with him. But I'm really excited to watch from afar. And I think what they've done so far is great. You know, you see the obviously on the recruiting trail too. Miami's back as far as getting the kids and being up in that upper echelon of talent, you know, those four and five stars. Yeah, he's a big-time recruiter, no doubt about it, a big-time head coach, and it sounds like a great guy and a great guy to work for. You you hear that cliche, run through a brick wall. He always kind of seemed like that type of coach, and it kind of I kind of get that vibe by the way you've talked about him, and you're right about him at Miami. I think that this is a sleeping giant that just got woken up because this program, as we know, has been a blue blood in college football, but has been down for a while now, and I think they finally got their guy that's going to resurrect that program and really get them back in the mix, so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch what he does down there in Miami. Especially because, you know, Miami's, they always have the, the athletes, you know, they have the skill position players, but they've always kind of struggled with offensive linemen maybe and, and getting the, the bigger guys up front. Coach Criswell is an offensive line guy by heart. Skill position guys will come there just naturally. And now he's going to go now pick and choose who he wants to bring in as on the offensive line and defensive line. And so I think that's what's going to help take more of the top as well. He knows offensive line talent. He knows what it takes to be a, a good up front. So they're going to, they're going to be special, I think. Yeah, that's a great point because you're right. He and he did that at Oregon too. He really upgraded the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball with bigger, more physical athletes than Oregon had really seen in a long time. So I think you're right. I think with that philosophy and his background as an O-lineman and kind of his philosophy on big, tough, physical football, I think that's going to translate as well. And and with Florida just having such an awesome recruiting base down there and so many talented five-star, four-star kids for him to pick from, I think he's going to have a really great team down there in a hurry. I, I definitely agree with you there because you look at some of the guys that he had at Oregon, whether it was Panay Sewell, or Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, he he brought a different level of athlete to the offensive and defensive lines while he was there. And I, I expect him to do the same at Miami for sure. Now, I want to jump to your new head coach that you're working for now with the Jaguars. They hired Doug Peterson, a respected coach, a recent Super Bowl winning coach. What's it been like working with him? You know what? It, it, he is one of the nicest human beings I've ever been around. One of the smartest uh, football coaches I've been around. I mean, you, you sit in a, a room with him and watch him talk football and he, he'll be watching college tape, right? We'll be, watch, we'll be preparing for the draft and he'll be watching the tape of, of a player and he'll be breaking down the defense, even though we're watching, you know, we're watching the receiver and he's breaking down the coverages. Um, he just sees football so easily. You know, you could walk in the building. You wouldn't even know he's a head coach. He'll, he'll talk to everyone 
whether you're on the business side, you're a trainer, you're a scout, you know, you're selling tickets, he's going to interact with you. He's going to ask you what your name is, how your day's going. You know, everything about him has been great. Um, it's been fun to learn from him and fun to be a part of, you know, an organization that's being led by him. He's been awesome, I think. And the rest of the coaching staff, too. It's just a it's just a fun coaching staff to be around. You want to work for them. It doesn't feel like work. You know, you, you learn from them, all of them. You know, they can give you when you're scouting a guy, they give you tips on what they're looking for. And obviously, that's a thing that happens around the league. But, you know, they're willing to sit down with you and, and show you why this is what they're looking for or, or why this guy, they, they think this guy is going to be potentially a you know, better player than this, this player. So I think this is a good staff to be a part of. And for me, it's going to be a great staff to learn from being in my second year. Yeah, that's got to be exciting. Having a guy with his type of resume and experience coming in there, uh, a proven winner. I was really shocked that the Eagles let him go. I, I thought it was a really head-scratching move. And I think the Jaguars were the beneficiaries of it because they landed themselves, I think, a really top-level coach and a guy that I think is really going to be a catalyst to turning this or this uh, team around and getting them going in the right direction. I think it was a great hire, and I think the Jaguars are in for a pretty good season. And a big part of that rebuild, of course, is the NFL draft, which I want to jump into here because – you were involved firsthand with it. The NFL draft behind us now. I want to start with Trayvon Walker, big-time athlete, limited production. He wasn't seen as a lock for the first pick by many. Was there a lot of debate internally in the pre-draft process who the Jags would be selecting at one, or did you guys know right away that Walker was your guy? You know, I think, you know, you watch the tape in the fall, and there's there's multiple parts of the draft, right? There's the fall tape, and then you have the All-Star games, the combine, you know, the, the visits. And, you know, based off the tape, we had them up there with a, with a core group of guys that we thought were the better players of the draft. It was it was unanimous that he was in that group from our scouting staff to our coaching staff, right, of those, you know, five, six, seven players. You know, as the process wore along and you go through the combine, right, and obviously you had a great combine, and then you go through the interview process and you get to know the guy. And, and our coaches got a chance to sit down and watch film with him and, and eat with him and just learn from him, learn what he's about, who he is get real personal with him and the rest of the guys, you know, we started to feel like, okay, this is, this, this guy's real chance to be our potential pick. I think that for me, that learning process of like, you know, you watch the film and you just think it's based off a film, but there's a lot more to it. Obviously films are very important, but there's a lot, you know, a lot of intangibles that you look back at the history of players, you know, that have been drafted at his size or another player's size and how they, how those guys have fared slowly got closer to the draft. We started feeling a lot more comfortable with it and, you know, we still had those debates the week of the draft and two, three days before the draft. And it wasn't it was never um, solidified until at least for me, you know, I, I still didn't really know who we were going with until we really turned the card in. But you started to get the better feeling of, you know, who we were taking just from watching the tape and learning who, was, who we was. And, um, you know, we kept that information pretty, pretty close to vest, though. So, you know, there's only a few people that really knew what was happening. So I think I'm excited to see what he does. You know, he came into our rookie camp last week and I mean, he can just, he just looks, he looks the part, right? And you see him out there, you know, going against these guys and that are part of our rookie camp and, you know, he's doing what he should do. So I'm excited to see what he does, especially when you get the pads on here in a little bit. Um, it'll be, it'll be exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. So it sounds like he's been pretty impressive, whether it was in the interviews or, or in the, obviously we know the show that he put on at the combine, and I'm sure that played a big role in your guys' decision to take him. But it sounds like from what you've seen in this early part of his uh, career there with the Jaguars, you like the results that you've seen from him. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a strong, physical, athletic football player. I mean, that's really what you're looking for, right? Big, fast, strong. 
knows the game and, and plays it hard. You know, and like I said, we've only really had a few practices with him um, and the rest of the rookie class. But you feel good about him and the rest of the class. I mean, we you know we draft a lot of good players that we feel really good about. I think I think it's going to be a fun class to watch and see how they develop. Yeah, that leads me perfectly into the next question here. I want to jump into the rest of the class because you guys had what I think is one of the better classes, especially in the AFC South. I thought you guys had a great class, and it wasn't just Walker. You guys drafted Devin Lloyd at 27 overall. He could be one of the biggest steals in the first round. Now, this is a guy that I had ranked as my ninth best player in this entire class. I'm really high on Devin Lloyd. I was shocked he was available that late. Tell us about Lloyd and the move you guys made to go up and get him. Did a lot of research on him and, you know, learned a lot about him. And obviously the production, he put a lot, he was a productive player throughout his college career. Um, I saw him firsthand at Oregon. I mean, shoot, we are always, you know, game planning around him and, we knew, you know, he was, that's the guy you watch for on defense going, all right, let's hope. I think he was zero, right? Doesn't make a play. For me, it was cool to, to when we, you know, really started digging into him and we made the pick. I was like, okay, this is a guy, West Coast guy. I feel like I've seen grow from the 2018, 2019 season to now. What we loved about him, obviously, is the character, right? He's an incredible human being, first and foremost, great leader. I think something that, you know, we, we're very happy about is he comes in and he's already kind of an alpha leader. He's that linebacker that you want, the guy that's going to take over the defense and, and do what you want him to do. He's he's going to bring the guys together. You could tell, you know, when he walked into his rookie minicamp, he's shaking hands, introduced himself to every single person there. Hey, let's go. It's time to go. He's working late after practice. You know, we had three days of working minicamp, and every single day he's out there after. So he's just the, the mentality, the makeup of him is, is what you want. And obviously the football player, you know, his tape and his production and athleticism speak for itself he loves the game of football he sleeps and breathes it we felt really good you know and you know we knew he was once we saw he was there it was one of those we you know let's go get our guy I think that decision was kind of like hey you know he's there we know we like him we know he's gonna be let's go let's go get him he's gonna be a huge part especially you know with Miles Jack no longer with us uh, he's gonna be a huge part to kind of replace a guy like that and, and help our team out yeah, just a big-time player, a stat stuffer, a do-it-all linebacker. That yeah. You're right, man. At Utah, he was just such an amazing player, and I think his game is really going to translate well at the next level. I'm excited to see what he's going to do with the Jaguars. And like you said, losing a guy like Miles Jack, a guy who's been there a long time, a veteran guy, a good player, bringing in a guy like this, I think a guy that has day one starting potential, a guy that is going to be an impact player early in his career, I think was just a great move. Now, I also really liked your third round selections, center Luke Fortner out of Kentucky and Chad Muma, the linebacker. Tell us about what you saw in scouting these guys. What are they going to bring to the Jaguars? Yeah, I mean, Luke Fortner is a is a multi-year starter in the SEC, right? And he's held, he did a great job. You watch him play Georgia this year and he's He's moving those, that defensive line around and very few players <laughs> that were able to do that, you know. So I think with him, you're look, you're getting a very intelligent guy. I mean, I think his testing numbers were off, off the charts and mental makeup. Uh, I think he's a – I believe he's a bio bio something engineer. I mean, just unbelievably intelligent guy. So you, you, you can put him in there. He's going to pick it up. You know, he's a strong, balanced player, right? He, he, he doesn't get too, too high, doesn't get too low. He's just going to play the game the right way and make the calls and, and put your offense in the right position. So with him, you know, you just feel like you've got a, a you know, a center that is going to fight during a starting job, whether it's this year, next year, or down the road, and, and potentially be a, a longtime starter for hopefully us. That's kind of how we felt about him. And then Muma, you know, that's a, that's a productive linebacker out of Wyoming, smart, high IQ football player that that's going to come up and hit you. 
he's going to put himself in the right position. He's going to, whether that's in pass coverage or that's coming up and playing the run. And I think, you know, when he was there for us, it was, I wasn't a part of the decision-making process, but I think it was kind of like, he's still here. Let, let, let's, let's take the player that we think we need that can help our team. And whether he's, you know, playing a lot next year right away or, or down the road, it's just a, a guy that you can count on every day, come in and play hard for you. I think, you know, you add to that defense, uh, the mix that we already have out on the defense, I mean, you'll be rotating guys in and out. And, you know, we feel really good about what we've got on the defense side of the ball, especially after this draft. I mean, it, it's going to be a physical, fast defense. Is that, that's the hope we have. Yeah, I, I think those two pieces at linebacker are just huge. I think you're going to have two guys that are going to be big-time impact players right away. I really like Chad Muma a lot. I think he's a guy that flew a little under the radar going to a small school, but when you watch his tape, man, this guy can really play, and I think he's going to be a really good one. I like the Fortner pick a lot as well. Now, the Jaguars traded two six-round picks to move up in the fifth round to make their pick of Snoop Connor, the running back out of Ole Miss. What can you tell us about him and his game and how it'll translate for the Jaguars? Right. I mean, Snoop is a uh, physical, you know, running back that has some good speed and burst when uh, he gets to the hole. And for us, you know, we, we kind of, you know, who knows with, with the injury situation that we can't, you know, coming from, from last year with James like, Torres Achilles and, and Travis with the Liz Frank. I mean, you know, the plan is and the hope is they'll be ready for the season, but you just never know how that stuff goes. So with Snoop, it was, hey, we, we watched this tape and we feel good about who he is as a runner. Obviously, he made all, all the checklists as a, a mental makeup, right? And character-wise, you know that that was he was clean there. And you watch his tape, and you just get a guy that you know is physical. Split split the backfield with Ely at Ole Miss, so you know he maybe didn't get the production and the carries that you would hope necessarily. But you know you know that offense at Ole Miss, right? They're gonna be a pass-first type offense with Corral at quarterback, and obviously Kiffin likes to throw the ball around the field a little bit. You know he was limited maybe in his touches, but the touches he did have, he made plays out of them. And, you know, when you watch them, you watch them all together to watch the whole season, you see a player that is going to is going to be able to help, help a team at the next level. And we were excited when he was there. And we want it was kind of the same thing, I think, where it's like, let's go get our guy. We know this is who we, we targeted at running back and he's there. Why not? Why risk it? And let's go get him. You know, you got a physical strong back that's just going to grind out yards for you. But if he pops it to the hole, he could take it to the house. That's what I'm excited for. And, and you know, you watch him at camp and you know, he, he does exactly that, can catch the ball in the backfield, can do really at all. So you got a three down back that um, you feel good about that you can put in the game at any time, whether he's starting or he's coming in to take carries off of James or, or Travis's, you know, hands. So feel really good about him. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it was a good value where you guys got him in the draft. And like you said, a very complete running back and a guy that's going to add some really nice depth to the running back room for you guys. When you're in the scouting process, there's obviously a lot of guys that you scout that don't end up on your team. Who are some guys that maybe didn't end up in the Jaguars roster, but you scouted and said, man, I really liked this kid or that kid. Is, is there a few guys that maybe you uh, want to share that you really liked during this process? Yeah, you know, I mean, I got a chance to go out to a couple of games this year. So I got a chance to uh, go to the Boise State UCF game and uh, the receiver from uh, Boise State, Khalil Shakir, I believe in that game he had like a hurt hamstring. And uh, so it was kind of one of you watching him, you know, why isn't he in the game? You know, kind of hurt his name. And I obviously know the Boise State staff and they talk very highly of him. Coach Avalos there and some of the other, you know, staff members there. They talk very highly of him, but then the game starting, it see him out in the field. So, you know, learned that he had a, a hamstring after the game, but played 25 plays, right? Because he's on a limit. And uh, I think he had like 12 touches and put up like 100 yards and two touchdowns. And it was just unbelievable to watch him because, you know, it seemed like guys can attack him. 
And so you kind of started watching him a little bit more as the season went on going, okay, it wasn't just one game. It was the whole season. And uh, I, I really liked watching him as a player and I'm excited to see what he does. He tested really well at the combine and I believe went to the bills um, late in the fourth or early fifth. I'm not, I don't remember, but he was just a guy that I'm excited to see what he does. And we, when we got the chance to interview at the senior bowl, you know, he was a great kid and did everything that was everything that we, the coaches had said he was at Boise State. And then uh, another guy, I think I fell, I fell in love with him. I was at the Florida, Florida State game was Damian Pierce, the running back. And he had that touch. Everyone knows the touchdown, but he had the touchdown with his helmet off and scores and the whole, the whole swamp was going crazy. That was a play where you're going, all right, this guy's got some stuff to him. You know, you watch him throughout the process and it's just excited to see where he goes, right? Because it's a physical running back that plays the game hard and you can tell he loves contact and he's a smaller guy, but when you tackle him, it's gonna, you're going to feel it. So that was just a guy that those are two guys that kind of stood out to me that I'm excited to watch, obviously from afar, unless they're playing us and just, you know, hope they pan out because I thought they were good football players and they're going to have great careers, just like I hope all the players do. But those were two guys that just when I was at those games live or saw them in person, it was it was they were just difference makers. It's fun to get your take and and see some of the other guys that you really liked during this scouting draft process. Damian Pierce is a guy that I think I, I like as well. I think he's a little bit undervalued for where he was taken. I actually thought he might go around earlier than he did. Really good player. And that one's got to sting a little bit going to the rival Texans. You're going to have right. to see some of him. But uh, a good player, though, for sure. It's been an absolute blast to have you on the show. Once again, we've been joined by Tyler Walker, a scouting assistant for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Absolutely awesome stuff today, Tyler. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you having me. Next time I'm in Eugene, when I get back out in Oregon, we'll catch up and grab a drink. Mackenzie Brewing, right? Yeah, yep, you know it. You know it, man. We'll have a couple of cold IPAs or something. No doubt. Awesome. Tyler, appreciate it again. Have a great day. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Brad. You too. That's going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.